0: Welcome to Paint Radio
1: with your hosts, Emily Howard and Andrew Dwyer. Thank you. I'm Andrew. Emily is here. And Emily, what are we talking about today? We're talking about turnover. Guess what? I almost turned over last night. Literally.
2: What happened?
1: I'm driving on the highway. And, you know, we, we open podcasts with lots of jokes. Jokey McJokerson, some people call me. This is... Not a joke. Very true. Driving to the airport to pick up my wife, my first wife and current wife. And uh, all of a sudden I can tell I'm getting a flat. Okay, no big deal. Shoot. I'm getting a flat. I start to pull over. Now it feels pretty rough. Like, okay, guess the next thing I see peripheral to my right is my tire (laughs) (laughs) bouncing across the window in front of me. Yes. Your
2: tire fell off.
1: The tire came off of the vehicle. And it wasn't even flat. It just, it came off. I pull over. I come to a stop. It continues to roll down the shoulder amazingly. And I didn't lose any control of the car. None. And the, the, it was like a well-trained dog, that tire. It just, it ran ahead (laughs) in the shoulder. It bounced against the, the, the retaining wall a few times, but God bless it. It never ran into traffic and eventually came to a stop on the shoulder.
2: Oh. Who put that tire on? (laughs) It was you. You, It was you, wasn't it? No, I
1: make sure my wife does all the tire work on her cars. No,
2: seriously. How does that happen? How does a tire come off?
1: So I had it towed to the mechanic. And uh, that's what I asked the mechanic. And God bless this mechanic. He said, it doesn't. The only way a tire comes off is if it was put on incorrectly. And then he said, guess what? The last person to touch this vehicle was me. The mechanic is taking full responsibility. How okay. great is
2: that? Well, yeah.
1: Anyway, thanks for I'm joining ge- us on Paint Radio, everybody. I'm glad you're okay. We'll uh, we'll see you next time. No, wait. <laughs> we actually have a topic. Turnover. <laughs> I almost died. You would have been here solo. What am I kidding? Who am I kidding? You wouldn't. Have come I in. wouldn't have shown up. You would have. You would have ended.
2: <laughs> okay. Oh, geez.
1: Oh, let's get on, you with know, it. we shouldn't even connect our guests until we're ready to talk to them because they probably <laughs> it's like sitting in the green room for half an hour.
2: Probably bored. Let's get the show going like our listeners. <laughs> well, that's what we do.
1: So paint radio, Andrew Dwyer, Emily Howard. As I said, we're talking about turnover and we're talking with Ian Signer of Signer and Company out in Portland, Oregon. He's a commercial contractor. He's been on paint radio before. Uh, I know everybody has had experience with turnover. I don't think it would be fair to say he's had more than others, because that, be, uh, that would be terrible. But I think he deals with it. Obviously, we think he deals with it better than the average contractor. Is that fair to say?
2: That is. And okay. he's willing to share.
1: Exactly.
0: Share that experience. We
1: love people who are willing to tell stories like I do. Ian, how are you, sir?
0: I'm doing great this morning. How, how are you guys doing?
1: Well, I don't know if you heard, but I had a bit of an accident. Last night, let me tell you what happened. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So, so, uh, again, Ian, commercial contractor, uh, you've been doing this for, what, 17, 18 years? Is that correct?
0: About 18 years, but I was kind of, I was involved in this business kind of from the beginning, even in a very limited apprentice type role, I guess you might say.
2: Ian, how old were you the first time you touched a paintbrush?
0: Oh, I was probably 14 Okay, 13, 14, I think old enough to work legally. Right.
2: (laughs) Right. Were you in trouble or was this a (laughs) job?
0: No, you know what it was? It was uh, obviously the pay had something to do with it because, you know, my dad being the shrewd business guy that he is, made it about 25 cents better than what minimum wage was at the time, which I think was like 450 or 475, so I got, you know, uh, $5 cash. I don't know what the statute of limitations is, but uh, I got $5 cash. So that means he didn't pay any taxes.
2: But
0: uh, I got $5 cash. And nice. I think most, most of my friends were doing, you know, they were, they were flipping burgers and, and and deep frying and working at a restaurant and that kind of situation, you know, that kind of environment just didn't seem very exciting to me.
2: Yeah. Well, and I remember I think my first job was at a pool at the concession stand. And I remember hitting that 475 threshold an hour, and I was thrilled to have that extra quarter.
1: My my first job was publisher of APC. Yep. So uh,
2: He's never worked a day in his life.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Emily's been carrying me this whole time. Everyone knows that. No, it's not changing tires. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um,
1: Again, that story is 100% true, but I will also introduce this topic of turnover with sort of another – driving concept that, you know, I've read that many people talk about that what leads to most accidents is this assumption that's an incorrect assumption that current conditions will continue. So if you're cruising along on a highway and there's really not a ton of space between you and the next driver, people are lured into a false sense of security that current conditions will continue to exist. And then if something unexpected happens that's what can cause an accident because you're not prepared. You didn't leave enough room between you and the next driver. You're not paying enough attention, that type of thing. So a turnover is always – you never know when it's going to be, but you know it's going to happen. And so I think that's really why we're having this uh, conversation on this topic, on this podcast. You know you're going to experience turnover. You don't know when, but you can prepare for it, and that's why we have Ian. So, Ian, why don't we start with – Obviously, we've, with our dozens of interns, we've started with a lot of pre-podcast prep, and you've sort of boiled down the way you see turnover into three sort of categories. So if you could give us sort of a brief synopsis on what you consider those categories.
0: Well, they're not so much categories as they are maybe just examples, mm-hmm. but but very much the same. When I first got into this business, um, you know, you're a little bit naive, especially uh, in your 20s and you're working with people and you're thinking, well, they've been here for six or seven years and my gosh, that is a long time to have a job. So why would they leave? Again, current current uh, conditions, you're thinking that why would it change, right? So had an estimator that um, kind of, this is kind of the sales, I guess, the, the example of a salesperson that left um had an estimator that had worked here that maybe for one reason or another was looking for another job um and this person went out sought out another contractor in our market and was applying at that that place right no no problem those things happen all the time Uh, what had happened is that the other employer kind of noticed the fact that this person was still employed and that he was applying during the day and kind of caught to it that uh Man, his current employer is paying him to call me to apply for a job. And so that's kind of how we found out is um, this other employer had called us and said, you know, this person's out mo- basically moonlighting on you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, is, you know, while I have you on the phone, is this what you're currently paying him? For me, being early 20s and not having gone through this a whole lot, that was a real big eye-opener going, wow, I, I can't believe this stuff happens. But, um, but it does, you know, and people leave and, and they make decisions and, and that's the world we live in, right? What was interesting about that one was once this person left, I kind of got put into a position of handling a lot of that person's accounts. And so now I'm, I've gone from coworker to competitor that was very interesting too because you've got clients that have been long-term clients, long-term relationships and now you're having to walk into a client's uh, office and say, "Hey, you know, look, I know you used to deal with such and such person, but we will always take care of you, you know, we've done it up until now and we continue, we can continue to do the same job we've always done and uh, basically take the high road." Those things uh, can work out in a very positive fashion. We've had it in other situations where maybe the person left, and now this, it was all about you know, making sure that they didn't get any of the work, right? You left us. Now we're going to go after all this work, and you're not going to get anything. And, and all that does is really kind of create a price war. Meanwhile, no one's making any money.
2: So when you found out they were searching for a job during the hours that you were paying them to do work, did you fire that person on the spot?
0: How we handled it was we had X amount in writing and said, okay, well, we're going to let this person go. And prior to meeting with them, let's put together a plan of action so that when we do make that call and that person leaves, we're hitting the ground running while they're still looking for a job.
2: Right. So you all did make that decision pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, my dad. That was mostly my dad. I mean, that was... Mm -hmm. uh, I was pretty young in this. And so a lot of that was shown to me that way.
1: Ian, sticking with this first scenario before we move on to number two and three, looking back, were you able to identify things that maybe you could have noticed early on? Like why, why was this guy looking for another job? I mean, did, did he, was he not happy with where he was? Just what, what do you think prompted that?
0: I think what prompted it was um, kind of an exposure to work ethic and, We had really started to – I would say we, but it was was basically company ownership had started to look at what this person was producing, what they were bringing in, and how that had kind of declined over time. And so really it was about um, performance, and performance had started to decline – and so whenever that happens in any job or any project, when your performance declines, pressure starts to get turned up so that performance can kind of head back in the direction that it once was positioned at. So, so that's what I think happened. The pressure went up and...
2: We started looking. Up.
1: Okay. So we sort of interrupted. Why don't you uh, go on to scenario number two?
0: Uh, scenario number two was um, kind of in the operations realm. And what makes this example so different is that salespeople come and go and sales can be all, can always be picked back up by someone and those tasks are even are easily distributed operations and contracting is not easy and for anyone that's ever done it for any sort of long amount of time it takes time to get to some sort of position where the bar is not only acceptable but really doing well right so when that bar is set high it's taken someone years to get to that position. We had an operations manager that was fantastic at what they were doing. Uh, they were very, very good at their job. And the person had a personal accident where they had passed away. Oh and no! Yeah, and so uh, on top of it, uh, the person was a family member, and so oh, um, that makes it even worse. So that's now you're tough. you're dealing with both. Uh, professional and personal issues that they just blend together when you're in a family business. That's just the way it is. And so you've got this person that is so good at their job, and the bar is set so high, but when you have no one to refer to, there's no one you can call to ask questions about where this was or how would they deal with that. It makes it really, really difficult to be able to come up with a plan on how to move forward.
2: So like you said, that's difficult on both sides. How did you, how did you separate, you know, dealing with that personal loss? You know, compounded with that, you have to kind of pick up the pieces on the professional side and figure out how to move on.
0: Yeah. So the, the professional side of things is, is the, is something you can do something about, right? It, it is, is difficult or, uh, is that all Sounds
2: mm-hmm. The
0: professional side is something you can, you can actually make a plan and move forward with the, the personal thing is, is those things just take time. They take years and and in some cases they take a lifetime for anybody that's ever lost somebody. You never really move on from those things and it's, and it's tough. And, but, on the professional side, that's really kind of how we dealt with. Is we we had to make a plan, we had to move forward because it wasn't just uh, our lives that depended on on this business. It was the lives of all the other employees that worked here, and so we had to do it. You know, there was no choice.
2: Well, so there are a million questions probably that come with with that one, but let's go ahead and set up the the third scenario, and then we can come back around and talk a little bit about some of the lessons learned.
0: Yeah, so the third scenario is having to do with shop operations, and so we have a full time shop. Uh, mechanic um, slash warehouse driver slash delivery person. <laughs> and that's always uh, been one of those jobs. It's always been really find, hard to find someone that was... Um,
2: a jack of all trades.
0: Yeah, kind of a jack of all trades. Yeah. You, you'll put in an ad maybe through Indeed or through Craigslist or whoever you deal with to try to find job leads. And generally, you're going to get somebody that's either small engine repair. You might get a warehouse specific person. You might get someone that's got a little bit of pain experience, and then you'll get a delivery driver. And so that's like three or four different avenues. You very rarely do you get one person that has two to three of those. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you'll get someone that's way overqualified in one of those arenas or the other. And that's about it. Yeah. And that uh, doesn't
2: mean that they're qualified in all of those arenas. So,
0: yeah, that's correct. And, and that's been a probably in the, uh, in the 18 years that I've been at this company that's probably been one of the toughest ones to consistently keep in place because you sometimes people don't really understand what they're getting into and because it's it's small engine repair dealing with paint sprayers and power washers and equipment and tool repair you're also doing job job site pickups you're doing warehouse inventory management i mean it's a re, that's a very tough job and so that's been a tough one for us to keep consistent through the years
2: so, and what happened with this? So, did you, you had a person in that spot that was good.
0: Uh, yeah. We well, recently we did. We have we've had two really that were very very good. One had a health issue and he passed away. Wow. And that was probably in about two thousand nine. And he was uh, very much like a family member to this. Uh, he wasn't a family member, but he he had been here long enough and was so good at his job that you know when you're a small business and an employee comes along that is so good but also just embraces the job and embraces the company like it's. it has to be successful in order for them to have a good livelihood. That's how this person was. And when you have that in a small business, you tend to embrace people like that and welcome them in because you're like, wow, look at this person. They really, really care. And so that person, it was the same thing. And uh, although it wasn't um, as it was, a, it was a lot more gradual because he was sick, but it did happen. Right And uh, and then we recently had someone that had left to take another job, maybe a little bit more up their alley. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's a bummer. But, you know, you also sometimes when someone leaves, especially when they do a really good job, you have to take the good with the bad and just realize that, hey, while this person was employed, they brought some very, very good things to the table. And so let's be thankful about what those things are. Because in a lot of, a lot of cases, when you have a good employee that comes and they may leave And you may be upset that they've left because, man, they were so great. You also have to look at it and go, did I learn anything from this?
1: So speaking of learning something, so in that position, specifically someone in charge of small engine repair, sprayer repair, is it not enough? I mean, obviously in this industry, we talk about a lot about I don't need someone who knows how to paint. I need a good work ethic. I need reliability. I need enthusiasm. Uh, Someone who fits our culture, we can teach them how to paint. Is that not true of, of this position? Would you be able yeah. to just find someone who is, say, mechanically inclined, who might have experience with repairing washing machines? But just we all know people who are just mechanically inclined.
0: Yeah, and I think that's, you know, through the years, specifically that position, if I had to say that there was one that I definitely came through, you know, like the light hit me. Someone that understands small engine repair and just being a mechanic. Someone that's got electrical, mechanical, or... Even welding experience, because there is that mechanical mindset. There is that, well, I, I've never done that, but I can figure it out. I've welded before, I can yeah. fabricate something for you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just having that mindset. And the flip side of that is it's hard to find somebody, especially these days because everybody's so computer oriented. Um, it's hard to find somebody sometimes that has those small engine repairs because, I mean, Clearly, Andrew's not changing his own tire. Otherwise, that wouldn't have happened, right? He took it to somebody. They were smart enough to figure it out, maybe.
1: They were smart enough to do it wrong <laughs> Exactly. and try to kill me. Maybe it was my wife. Well, maybe it was
2: me. <laughs>
1: but, but it really is hard to find people that understand
0: small engine mechanics because you're just – No one works on their own car anymore. Nobody repairs their lawnmower if you have a lawnmower. Right. right? So
2: people don't have that baseline of knowledge
0: just because it's
2: something that we're always contracting out.
0: Yeah. But it's also tough too when you're, if you're posting ads or you're posting a job description for someone that you need to, for us, it was, it was a real big eye opener to say, okay, look, we're going to put this under small engine repair Mm -hmm. and let's see what we get because we've We've done warehouse person, we've done shop supervisor, we've done shop mechanic, we've done all these different things, and you always kind of get something a little bit different, but when we do small engine repair, that was a real key one for us to start getting people that, that could understand paint sprayers and power washer repair, small tool repair, just right. mechanical thought mechanical. process.
2: Right. Well, so now with all of these, so you had two, uh, you know, there were kind of four that w- that were brought up here. After this turnover, what would you say are some of the key lessons that you took away or what were some of the lessons that you had to learn the hard way?
0: You know, I would say that the the first one is don't overreact, especially with salespeople. One of the things everyone tends to do is, well, you know, who's gonna handle this? How are we gonna deal with this? And, and you tend to make um, maybe emotional decisions because now you've got someone that may be out competing against your same amount of work, and, and we all know how competitive the painting business is. Um, so I would say that just the first one is, is don't overreact. When it comes to actually replacing someone, I would say that the things that I've learned is, is don't settle. For us, we operate best with about three estimators consistently bringing in work. Mm -hmm. If we go down to two, it does make things stressful. But you don't want to have to go back up to three and then go back down to two and then go up to three and go down to two. You want to find the right person. And so that's a lot of times what we don't do is we don't overreact and we start thinking about looking for the ideal person that's going to be there long term.
2: So play that long game, even if it's the middle of july work is bumping you're <laughs> yeah, down one a t- estimator <laughs> that's, a t- that's a tough one <laughs> it's yeah, still yeah. better to and have just... two than to to jump the gun bring someone in and find yourself back in that scenario again is yeah. is that right
0: i would think so yes and the other thing that we that we've learned is is that you know there there's going to be things that you're not going to have time to do when it is july and you've gone from three estimators down to two or you're out of an operations person You need to probably use as much technology as possible and then shelving some things as much as no one likes to do that, right? Um, But if you can't provide a certain service, if you can't be as reliable as a company as you've been in the past, um, I'm not saying, you know, stop painting exteriors if you're normally an exterior company. I'm just saying you're going to have to limit the amount of things that you're trying to tackle. For us, there's seven or eight people in our office. If we go down to five or six, that's a huge blow to everyone's workload. And so at some point we have to stop and say, you know what, we're trying to do too much. We need to settle down and just kind of slow it down for a little while until we find that ideal person.
1: So uh, it's, and again, sort of, I'm using the the small engine guy as a, I don't know, I can relate to him since I don't know anything about small Um, (laughs) engines. If say his name is Bob, Bob leaves, Bob was awesome. The instinct, of course, is to say, we got to find another Bob. But through your experience, you realize, man, we were lucky to have Bob. We're probably not going to find another Bob. So is it the right thing to do to change the the job description or are you settling?
0: Well, for me as an owner, the first one of the things I do right out of the gate was what would it have taken for Bob to stay here, Right. Why, you know obviously if they uh, if someone gets sick and they, and they're no longer here tomorrow right. that's 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 one thing but you know in most cases someone um, doesn't want to be here anymore or you have to let them go whatever it may be. So there's always going to be a scenario where you as an owner or you as a manager said do you have to look within yourself and go did I allow certain items to be acceptable certain conditions did I allow certain conditions to be acceptable within the work environment? Is that why that person left or is that the reason I had to fire that person? And in some cases, it is. it is. Yeah, I was, I was not as forceful as I should have been because I liked this person a lot and they were very good at about 90% of what I needed. It wasn't until that 10% started to become a big issue that I pushed on them and then they got upset and they left. And so you're always going to learn a lesson and you need to know, what am I going to do differently next time?
2: So, so what are after those seventeen years? What would you say, like looking back seventeen years ago, Ian, to today, Ian? How do you deal with, look at, turnover differently than you did then?
0: Um, well, first thing we, first thing that uh, that we do now, which which actually helps with the training of new employees, is position guides, which are a basic description. They're not uh, a black and white in stone document about you will do this and you will not do this.
2: Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. very
0: much a, this is going to allow you to uh, help train you, help move you along by just describing some things that are corporate responsibilities, daily tasks, things you're supposed to be doing, things you're not supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. Um,
2: What would you say as far as those? I mean, I know we talk about this a lot in Mission Vacation, too, because Dustin has been working on his um, position guides and his position descriptions. And, you know, the idea is, is that you're building something that creates responsibility, but allows them to do the work in a way that suits and fits them, but still give you the results that you need as an owner.
0: Yeah, that's kind of it. I mean, you you really want to give people the freedom to do it their way. Mm hmm. But, the, you know, kind of the proof is in the pudding, right? As long as you have these things done, I don't care how you get them done, but this is what I need to have done. And so that's what we utilize both in a sales position. We have those for a sales position now. We have them for an operations position now. I need to do one for uh, my shop operations. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the second thing that uh, probably if I would say that something I do differently, that's much different. I mean, completely If I didn't do this, I don't know how I would survive on a yearly basis. Um, What I started doing a number of years ago was, you know, for in the Portland, Oregon area where it rains a ton, um, we probably between October and March, um, I start taking care of projects, long-term projects, things that I want to take care of so that when the next busy season comes along, um, I'm prepared. And so what I end up doing is addressing some of these things. If I don't have a position guide in place for a um, shop operations person, that's what I'm going to be probably doing beginning this October. Uh, last year I did a foreman's manual and I did an employee manual. Wow. Um, and basically, you know, March, I would say March, end of March, or maybe even sometimes I've done it at the beginning of the March, I shut those projects down. So I only do projects between – this period and this period. And then I shut it down after that and then focus on just the business of painting.
2: So focusing on the business, not in the business during, during those times. So I have a question. Did you, did did you use any uh, outside consultants, any lawyers? What, what kind of help did you get um, on on this stuff? We
0: did. We did years ago. There was uh, my dad, had brought someone in um, probably about 2005, 2006. And, um, you know, they we spent a, a fair amount of time analyzing things like labor costs and uh, ratios and a fair amount of statistical information using business data. And some of that was worthwhile, some of it wasn't. The job description portion was a, a part that they latched onto and said, you know, you, you've really got a difficult uh, or you've got a hurdle here that's that's gonna continue to be a problem for you if you don't have well-defined positions and giving people an expectation. And it kind of did address turnover because that was one of the reasons we brought them in. It was just my dad and myself that were estimating at the time. Yeah. Um, we'd, we'd had about three or four people leave and we're kind of trying to find a solution on how to basically increase business and find the right people and all those kinds of things. So we were kind of at a, it was almost like a stagnant part of in our company's history. And uh, the position guide was one of those things that we, out of everything that we had done um, with this consultant, the position guide is probably one of the most uh, used things today that we still, that we're still using.
2: It's an important piece of the business, that's for sure. So, I mean, what would you say that's, do you have, so you've got the position guides, you've got your timing when you're going to work in the business, when you're going to work on the business, you've you've trained yourself to not overreact. You've trained yourself not to, to settle for the first person who walks in the door and is physically capable of doing work. What would you say, I mean, do you, do you have anything in place too that that allows you to, to deal with unexpected turnover?
0: Um, I think just having been through it enough times that,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, obviously it depends on who it is. I know in the past, Uh, because I do have a business partner, we've put in place an insurance policy should one of us leave and we have to find a replacement for that person. um, There are insurance policies out there. Uh, You can put those in place for multiple reasons. One, if the person is like, as an owner, they're like, hey, I don't want to be here anymore. Um, You've got an insurance policy that you can go to and now paying out to help train this new person, which as an owner, depending on how long you've been there, um, that can take some time. Um, also, on the on in another scenario where if you have a, a very key person or a, a business partner or business owner pass away, you've got an insurance policy that's out there that will help pay for their replacement or train their replacement. So those things are available too. And I would I would just say being extremely as quick as possible to act, not overreacting, not settling, but just knowing what you're going to do and creating goals for yourself is is probably one of those real beneficial things to be ready to do at a moment's notice.
2: Have you found an effective way of communicating to the remaining employees that that someone left under a less than desirable situation?
0: We try to take the high road in almost every scenario. Um, I can, you know, um, Day one, pretty much what I do is I write out someone's tasks, right, In,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
0: and, and what they're doing, what they're working on, and I start to think about who might be the best person to take that task over or that project. The reason I do that is that is that I'm on day two, I'm going to meet with the entire staff and talk to them about, hey, look, this is what happened. This person left. I don't think it's a surprise to anyone. They were unhappy. They were voicing it to everyone in this room except for me. Um, But I could kind of tell that their demeanor had changed over the last couple of weeks. Uh, But, you know, people come and go, and I wish that person all the best of luck. If you're going to put the best foot forward, if you're going to have a real positive, like this is the road. We have to go down this road now because this person has demanded that we change courses, right? They're leaving. So now we have to go down this road, and we're only going to go down the road with these five or six people now. So if I want to put my best foot forward, I'm going to have to be as positive as possible so that I can get buy-in to move down this road. Right. And so that's kind of the that's that's how we look at it. Um,
2: there's something to learn from every tough situation.
0: There really is. I don't know that there's a perfect scenario. Um, some people take it one way. Some people might take it another. Um, it's just, I, again, I think the best thing you could do is just be as positive as possible and move forward.
1: Well, it's a fascinating topic. Um, and we hear a lot that when there are emergencies, um, the people who survive are the ones who don't panic and, you know, uh, losing an employee, uh, unexpected turnover. I don't know if that rises to the level of emergency, but clearly the contractor who's going to, succeed and do well as the contractor who's not going to panic so you never know when it's going to happen but you can certainly give it some forethought think about what you could do if that happens when it does happen one two three weeks after it has happened you got to look back you know what went well what didn't i handle so well next time what would i do differently conditions are going to change and you should avail yourself of the opportunity to review how you handled those situations so that's why we have these podcasts ian Thank you so much for uh, putting up with us and sharing your personal experience. This is why networking is so critically important. No one is uh, is an island. You have to, again, avail yourself of the opportunity to learn from other contractors. So thank you for helping uh, the listeners of Paint Radio learn from your experience.
0: Thanks for having me on. It was great.
1: And if you want to learn from other contractors' experiences, go to paintmag.com, as Emily would say, www.paintmag.com
2: http colon slash slash
1: if you don't put that in you basically get immediately (laughs) routed to a Russian server so it's very important that you include that go to paintmag.com slash paint radio and scan through look at all the topics lots of good stuff there tune in again we post a new one every week keep working hard everybody we're rooting for you